0: Welcome back to GrandCast. I'm your host, Calum Irving. This time, we're going back to an episode we aired in April last year. First, we'll hear a conversation that my co-host Krishna had with interview coach Lisa Toza. and it discussed the do's and don'ts to know so that you can nail your job interview. Uh, the insights in this conversation are still really relevant uh, and really useful for grads who might be in the interview stages uh, for next year's grad cohort um, and also useful for those of you who might be applying for a new position uh, whether that's in the APS or outside uh, I hope you really enjoy listening to this episode um, and feel free to have a pen and paper ready to take some notes I'll pass it over to Krishna now
1: so I wanted to just um, I guess start off by how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and a little bit about your experience in the coaching and um,
2: coaching in industry. Thank you, Krishna. I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited to be able to give some tips to some grads as grad season is approaching. Um, So what I'm currently doing is I am a career development practitioner in private practice. I have my own business, and I've had that for the past five years, and it's called the interview coach. And I decided to put this business together because I could see that there was um, a niche to help people prepare for interviews, particularly for public service interviews. Um, So I've been doing that for the past five years, and previous to that, I was an assessor where I sat on lots of government interview panels and kind of you know, learn from the other side of the table how to do that so I could instruct people.
1: Sounds good. Um, When I look back to my gradia, I definitely remember being very nervous and Mm. actually being very lost as well. So I think the niche you've identified is obviously very accurate. And what is your absolute favorite thing um, with coaching candidates um, across the years? And is there any difference between the kind of candidates you coach and the tips you give to public service candidates versus private service um,
2: staff? Having been established here in Canberra, I almost exclusively work with public service candidates, and I've kind of um, really developed that niche. And it is a very specific model. And um, if you're an interview nerd like me, you can go look up the APS recruitment guidelines and see what it is you need to do to crack that code. Um, So it is a very specific, almost formulaic thing that you need to do if it's a public service interview. The difference with a private sector one is often it can be really just a conversation conversation. Uh, And so depending on what someone is preparing for will guide how I help them prepare.
1: And so how do you think um, the interviewing landscape has changed, especially in the public service over, I guess, the last maybe even, I guess, let's say 20
2: years since the time you've been here? Yeah, well, look, I've really only worked in this niche for about the past seven, but things have changed quite a bit in that period of time. And I think the biggest thing that changed is the technology side of things. Um, Because when I first started my business, um, I was very focused on trying to replicate this face-to-face interview. And now in the past two years, it's rare to have a face-to-face interview. Um, Technology has been a big change. So people are using a lot more online interviews. Either with or without an interviewer on the other side, you can have an asynchronous video interview where you just record into a blank screen. And you even have things like um, artificial intelligence where you have bots that are assessing you. So those are the big changes that I'm seeing.
1: No, and I've even heard that some of these bots are so advanced, they pick up on keywords
2: that you're saying and you're
1: automatically rejected or processed onto the next stage of the interview. Is that true? Absolutely. Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. So um, I was reviewing one of the graduate programs for our chat today and I see that they have a behavioral assessment and I think that that's likely to be what it is. Um, and look to answer a question that people already have. You can't game it. You know, right. you can't figure out how, to, how to, um, to get around it. They're very good at assessing exactly the way you are. As you said, the industry is very much
1: changing. Um, can you give us some tips on how to not beat the software, but I guess make the most out of it in whether it's an online interview you're giving or an in-person interview you are giving? What are some tips you would give to APS graduates to
2: stand out in the interview. Well, there's a couple of things that I think you can do to stand out. The first one is it's really important that you do plenty of research. Um, One of the things that graduate employers are looking for is they want to see your motivation. And you can't really show them your motivation unless you can show them that you understand government priorities and that your values align with their values. Um, So I think that's one of the really key things. Um, Another key thing is making sure you differentiate yourself. So everybody who's invited to a graduate assessment center is going to be qualified Mm -hmm. and everyone is going to have, you know, um, a good uni degree and be a sure, team player absolutely, and yeah. be able to communicate. But what they're looking for, as any good team would be looking for, is to have a diverse team because diversity is, is strength, obviously. Um, so figuring out how you can differentiate yourself, either based on what your degree is or based on your work experience or maybe even your lived experience if you've lived overseas or something, mm-hmm. I think that's super key as well. I have um, done a bit of reading on you uh, before this (laughs) interview.
1: um, And I did come across an article by you, which is my favorite um, interview question. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you and put you on the spot today. Mm. If you were a box of
2: cereal, what type of cereal would you be and why? Oh, now you get to ask the tricky questions. Okay, Krishna. Well, um, I think I would be sultana brand with ot clusters okay very specific i like it okay yeah because not just regular sultana brand because sultana brand in its own right is you know very wholesome and good for you you know and i like to be wholesome um, but I also like those like those little dollops of fun that you find <laughs> randomly when you're eating your cereal in the morning. So sure. every so often I hope to come up with some little gem of fun to share with people. I love that. That's a very
1: refreshing <laughs> answer. And I wish that during my grad interview I was asked these sorts of questions because they actually allow you to let your personality shine yeah. a bit as well. Um, mm-hmm. I know if I was a cereal, I would definitely be um, Lucky Charms because ah. I'm all about the extravagance yeah. and also I guess having a bit of that surprise element in you never know what kind of charm you're going to get next. I also wanted to ask you um, what kind of advice you can give to any of the grads listening on how to um, address the questions that they are asked in interviews. Um, In the Australian public service, we always get told from day one, and even a simple Google search will bring up that the STAR method is what's preferred, is that still relevant Um, Is there anything we can tweak in that STAR method to help um, stand ourselves out amongst
2: the crowd? Yes and yes. So the STAR method is still absolutely imperative. Um, And don't be tripped up because it has other names. So sometimes it's also called um, SAO or sometimes it's even called CAR. So what they stand for, STAR is Situation, Task, Action, Result. SAO is Situation, Action, Outcome, and CAR is Current Situation, Action, Result. So these are just three of the acronyms. They all boil down to the same thing, which is about telling a little story. So um, the STAR technique is used to answer behavioral questions, and behavioral questions are easy to identify because they are never a question. They're an invitation to tell a story. So a behavioral question is, tell me about a time you met a deadline, not how would you go about meeting a deadline, okay? So we always want to go backwards. The reason that the uh, public service uses the behavioral questions for both interviews and for writing selection criteria is this this is a very um, evidence-based model. So it gets you to talk about what you actually have done as opposed to what you propose you might do in the future. So that's why it's a really solid... um, solid model to use. Now, there are a couple of um, tips and tricks around it. So one of the things that's really important is that you pick a specific example. So they're likely to ask you questions about things you do all the time. So they might say something like, tell me about a time you worked as a member of a team. And you might say, well, you know, I work in a team at work. And you know, we always do everything together. And you just kind of describe a process, which is not the same as picking a discrete example. So the really key thing is to make sure that you're really specific and you pick an example and not discuss it generally. The other thing that's a, that's a big pitfall is that people tend to talk about we, And it's absolutely fine. In fact, it's great to pick examples when you're working with other people. It's just imperative that you show me what you did versus what somebody else did. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, you can't say we built a house. You have to say I did the carpentry and someone else did the painting and someone else did the electrics. Mm -hmm. So specifically focusing on your um, role in that example. Yes, and including the roles of the other people because, you know, the public service is a collaborative approach. We want to see what everybody's doing together. And the final part is when I coach candidates to use the star technique, I suggest they put an imaginary I at the end of star. And this imaginary I is for impact. And... Um, there's an opportunity for you to really enhance your answer Mm -hmm. by giving an impact at the end. So rather than saying, and we met the deadline, you expand it by saying, which meant that we got the talking points up to the minister and they were able to, you know, brief the press and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind as well when you're a graduate that one of the impacts you can always reflect on is your learning, which is really important for graduates.
1: What kind of other examples um, or examples from life could somebody,
2: you know, Use in an interview? Krishna, you could use just about anything because the important thing that they're assessing is the behavior. Sure. They're not assessing the what, they're assessing the how. So, you could talk about you know achieving a result as a member of a team you know in your volunteer experience okay. in your family um, in a sporting context in a volunteer context there's all kinds of different things so whether or not um, it 's in a work context um, is not useful. I will tell you what my worst my worst um, example is if I can share that one absolutely um, when I'm coaching grads one of the ubiquitous ones that I hear all the time is the um the group assignment at uni the ever popular <laughs> group assignment at okay. uni and look definitely i definitely use that one as well so, I have yeah. heard this a million times and so I'm sure that the other assessors have heard it a million times so again differentiate yourself come up with something different you know come up with something different Can you give us a bit of insight into what the
1: actual application looks like, or if there's any, a couple of different styles of application and interviews that you might have come across?
2: Yes. And this, this goes to another point that I wanted to make that I think is really important. And that is to look at the job ad as your single source of truth. Your job as a grad is to really study that job ad and see exactly what it is they are looking at and make sure you deliver it. And that's where the questions will come from. So that's how you'll know that you're, um, that you're going down the right path. Um, equally important is if, they, if you have a job ad that has a bunch of hyperlinks in it to the APS values or to a corporate strategy, follow those, read those. Those are going to be important. So do you have any advice on
1: at what point should somebody reach out to a career coach um, um, like yourself mm. and
2: how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can do lots of things. They're very welcome to get in touch with me. My website is interview.coach, or you can Google my name, and it'll pop up. Um, I have about 50 YouTube videos that I've made, which folks can watch, and I have lots of blog posts, and um, almost all of them talk about APS jobs, but um, a big chunk of them talk about graduate jobs. Um, In terms of whether or not an individual decides they want coaching – Um, An underutilized resource is your career center at your uni. So make sure you go check in with them. Um, Now, they don't have the same sort of one-on-one approach that I would have uh, because they're just not that resourced. But, you know, this is really their focus. So um, have a chat with them. And I think the two big things that people reach out to me for with coaching um, are people really struggling with nerves. So if you, the one thing I can do that's different is help you practice live and get feedback that's in line with what um, what the APS uses. Thank you
1: so much once again, Lisa, for coming in and giving us your time. I had a really lovely time chatting with you.
2: Thank you, and um, good luck to all the grads this year.
0: Listening to that interview again, there were heaps of really helpful tips that Lisa gave. Um, yes, yeah, some things that stood out to me, um, differentiate yourself with the Uh, examples that you give in the interview. I think Lisa said, yeah, like sort of branch out from just talking about group assignments at uni. Making sure to read the job description really carefully and use that as the sort of source of truth for your interview. Um, And then making the most of all the different resources that are available. Um, I mean, there are resources on Lisa's website that she mentioned using the free careers resources from your uni. Um, that was something I used when I was sort of finishing uni. We had um, all these different online resources that would sort of um, could even like prepare you with sort of sample interview questions, even like rate your responses. They'll be different across all the unis, but yeah, that's something really to make the most of because it's there and it's available. Uh, so thank you again to Lisa and Krishna for that interview. It's really helpful. In that same episode, we featured an interview with former Grant Caitlin Sandacock and Nidhi Yogi, who was at the time also a grad uh, and we talked about uh, what to expect when you join the APS as a graduate. So we'll take a listen to that interview now. So both of you have been through uh, graduate programs. Um, Nidhi, you have just started. So you went through the application process very recently. Uh, could you tell us what were some of the things that you did in preparation for your initial interview um, for your like, the grad program with Department of Defence?
3: Uh, Of course. So I've had a little bit of professional experience beforehand to this graduate program. So I knew a little bit about how formal interviews are undertaken, but... uh Fortunately to me, I wanted to get into defence since I was year ten. In year ten, I wanted to get into ADF, didn't get the chance. So I had the bright idea of just joining as an ABS. I am sure that I would be contributing some part of my life towards the greater good. Um, so I started with the basics: research, 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 taking a lot of notes. Um, and it's this is nothing to do with formality or anything. It's just about learning where you want to go. And I've always said since the start that the organisations looking at people who are good and ready to work Um, once you have that down packed having the information about the organization it's just you learning about the culture so you need to be equipped going into the interview with whatever you can Um, and also because I was undertaking as every grad would be several interviews you don't go after one interview I always reflected back on every interview so after an interview after I've had my breakdown that it didn't go well I would take my notepad and write how I felt during that interview, where I went right, where I went wrong, and to just have that, first of all, out of my mind, kind of like a reflection, and second of all, to kind of just reflect back when I'm going to the next interview. Apart from um, just preparing
1: for the interviews itself, Nidhi, what kind of other preparation did you do and what kind of
3: extracurricular things did you do at uni which you think might have landed you your dream job? Um, I think the first thing that I did was uh, always take out time to prepare and um, have timelines in your head. When is what interview do? Uh, That's really important. Uh, And in terms of experience, I've had... uh, a little bit of experience through out university i've worked every single year of my university i don't recommend it that's not my recommendation but i'm just a workaholic so i've worked in different organizations and industries i think the biggest thing that i had in my head since i started university was nothing is too small nothing's too big so i start i worked at a gym i worked at converse i have worked in hospitality as a chef i've worked in within university i've worked in law society because i was studying commerce and law wherever and Whenever I could get an opportunity, I put my hand up and then I realised maybe this is something for me. Maybe this is something not for me. And when I uh, got to the stage where I am at, where I was interviewing at graduate programs, I realized that through everything I've learned so many soft skills. Definitely getting that degree has given me the technical and hard skills that I can obviously go in and say, talk about legislation or whatever, but the soft skills that were all gained by my experience. And even just have, going through the group assignments was one of, a, again, I use that as an example in an interview, nothing exact. Nothing is too small. Nothing's too big.
1: Caitlin, do you agree with the whole attitude of just going for it? Or do you think it's better to have a more niche approach? Do you think about soft skills in the public service? Oh, soft
4: skills are huge. And I think what I, um, everything that Niti said, I 100% agree with. And I, I think it's really vital to be able to show, and it doesn't matter, soft skills are transferable throughout all careers, like whether it be working in customer service at a shop, you know, um, that's teamwork. You know, that's communication. Having been in the public service for a while now, when it comes to recruitment, um, looking at somebody who has worked versus someone who's just studied and got the grades, I'd probably pick someone that's got work experience because you know that they know how to work in a team, which is really important, um, and you know that they will take initiative, ask questions, that sort of thing. Stuff that, I mean, I think now probably also because I went to university quite a long time ago, um, things things have changed; it's a bit more dynamic. But I think you can't underestimate the value of those skills of being of and being work ready. Is having worked before. Um, the thing that I will build on um, what Nidhi said is what I what I did to prepare when I wanted to become a public servant is um, part of my university degree. I had to do an internship, um, and I would recommend this to anyone, even if you don't. It's not a, a obligatory part of your degree. And I think that public service writing is very niche, and it's not dif- difficult to learn, but it takes time. Um, and there's a lot of different um, entities you can do, if you, especially if you're doing like sort of an arts degree or a social policy policy degree, that you can do internships with to learn that writing. Um, and it may not necessarily be a government organisation. I did mine with the Australian Human Rights Commission, and I did research and policy. I did research and policy writing. I produce some papers on some immigration issues, for example. Um, just things like that. Or volunteering with an NGO. Um, a lot of NGO need, need people to do research and analysis and policy writing for them as well. And I think that really gets you in the mode and it also makes you sort of more attractive to recruiters when you're applying.
0: I guess, so, Caitlin, you've been in the Australian Public Service for a bit longer. If you, What would be one tip to people who are new in the public service or thinking about joining the public service about, like, What's the work culture like? What can you sort of tell them about that?
4: Um, the work culture varies from from uh, portfolio to portfolio. When, when you're entering a grad program, um, I would say probably don't be – be ambitious, but you're not going to change the world in the first year of the public service. Um, be grateful that you um, – and sometimes things seem a bit esoteric, like you don't really know the reason why you're doing something and what impact it has on real world – like you might be writing a policy paper that may not seemingly not go where, go anywhere, but it's all part of a bigger um, sort of project that, you know, it all sort of has an impact on the, the things that we do as normal Australian, you know, in Australian public life. So don't be disappointed if, you know, you're not working on some extreme major policy in your first year as a grad. Um, you're just there to learn, learn skills and get as much experience as you can. Um, And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of idealism with the grads, that people that tend to join the public service. Um, And that can often be sort of quashed when you're a grad, but I'd say take heart in the fact that everything does matter um, and it does have an impact on the way that, you know, we do deliver all of the things to our fellow citizens.
3: The one thing that one of my mentors said is you're not a celebrity. I go by that. You're a celebrity, you're not a celebrity, sorry, you're coming in as a blank page.
0: Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much to Caitlin and Nitty for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Thanks again.
3: No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me as well.
0: That's it for this episode. But if you would like to see more Grandcast content, you can check out our socials at Grandcast on LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. Grandcast is a production by content group, sponsored by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. And we'll be back soon with more stories, tips and insights. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.